Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi and welcome to uh, this uh, podcast series, the second in a series of uh, commercial applications, uh, which is typically cold rooms and walk-ins, a tour through the whole system. And today we it's about the compressor and the immediate valves and controls around the compressor. Um, we have, as usual, the application experts Jörg Saar and John Broughton online from both Germany and from England. Uh, if you have questions or comments and suggestions, please send them to chilling with Jens in one word at danfoss.com. Okay, so let's let's jump directly into this matter. And let's start with the job of a compressor. Um, I've written here in my intro to myself and to you guys, it's it's supposed to suck energy saturated refrigerant from the evaporator and pushing it into the condenser. Is that a bit too ambitious or what do you think about that? John, do you want to go? <laughs> um, I, I like that Jens and Whenever I do a, a talk or training, I always say that the compressor is the heart of the system. So I sort of compare it to, a, in its basic form, a pump. Um, but yeah, basically it, it sucks um, and blows, essentially. So in that respect, yeah, I tend to agree with that. And energy is a good, uh, a good way to visualize what we're actually doing with the refrigerant, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. And John, um, that's what I do as well. I, I say the compressor is the heart of the system because it's pumping the end of the refrigerant around. However, just to mention that here, when you think about a pump and a heart, the heart pumps a liquid, our blood. A pump usually pumps a liquid. The compressor, however, is there to transport a gas. It sucks in gas, it compresses a gas and pushes it out at a higher pressure. And only gas, please. And we'll probably come back to that later on because that's really what the compressor is supposed to do in comparison to, to a pump. So yes, it's the heart of the system. I totally agree and I say that as well. However, as, as a gas moving machine, that's really the major the major difference I see here. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Uh, I, I guess you could you could sort of view it from very many different angles. This 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 pump or compressor or whatever. Um, but let's 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 just have a a closer look at the uh, compressor itself. Uh, the, com uh, the compression of Vapov, because that is Jörg, what you say. Um, yeah. And of course, we, we've we've seen quite a few different technologies or techniques or methods, if you like, in 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 how to 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 compress. Um, but what are the typical 
commercial refrigeration compressor types. What, what do you see out there in, in, in the real world, so to speak? Um, <clears throat> I would say in, in the real world, Jens, it's a piston machine or scroll machine. Uh, and sorry, I always say machine, I mean compressor. Um, so a piston compressor or a scroll compressor. Um, those are the, the two most common types, but there are many others. Obviously, we have screw compressor for, let's say, what we what would we call it? Heavy commercial, light industrial, um, and then industrial also. Um, screw compressor, we have centrifugal compressors. Um, uh, yeah, Jörg, give me some more examples. Yeah, that's that's it, in in my opinion. And as you said, the piston and the scroll compressor are the the ones who really have the major major share here, especially when we talk about commercial refrigeration. And then when we say piston, there are two main designs. That is the reciprocating piston or the recips, where you have a piston like in a car engine going up and down. And then there are rotaries where you have a rotating piston. And we see them coming in in some areas as well. Not necessarily commercial refrigeration that much, but in some other areas. So, and, and these rotating pistons, they are, they are called piston engines or piston compressors as well. But usually then you hear recips or rotaries, and then you know, okay, that's, that's a reciprocating piston compressor or a rotating piston compressor. But nobody wants to say and so on. That's why it's a recip or, or a rotary. Yeah. So yeah, so so that's that's what we'll be talking about today. Those two types, the, the recips and the and the, uh, yeah. the scrolls. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, and and it's my impression, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my impression that if anything, you know, you you're being called out to a system that uh, fails somehow, and the immediate thought is it must be the compressor. Yeah, um, that's that's true. That's quite often how it all starts. And and well, there is kind of an, an argument behind that, which is, yeah, but the compressor is not working. So the compressor failed. Yeah, might be. Yes. And then sometimes it really happened that the compressor failed. But was it the compressor's fault, kind of? So what what happened that the compressor failed that's that's the far more important question because if you don't find out why the compressor failed and you just replace it then you have a very good possibility or probability that the new compressor is going to fail again so you need to find out why the compressor failed if it is really the compressor that is to blame well then replace it and everything is fine but if it was something else then you need to fix that first and then replace your compressor. But quite often we have a lot of a lot of other other things which don't work. But let's stick to the compressor this time. Yeah. Um, what I don't like either, and John, then you can comment on that. What I see sometimes is a preventive change of components. 
That means you come to the system, you, you replace three components, compressor, expansion valve, solenoid valve, and then it works again. And everybody says, so it must have been one of these three components. One component you replace always if you do that, which most people forget, is the refrigerant charge. Sometimes it was simply the refrigerant charge, which was not okay. You replace that when you replace a compressor, a solenoid valve, and an expansion valve, and you just put a new charge in. So yeah, that's kind of a forget it thing. But quite often, um, you need to to check whether the charge was the reason. Yeah, I totally agree, Jörg. And the way that I always try and explain it is that if we think of our compressor as the heart of the system, everything around the system, so as you say, the refrigerant charge, the expansion device, the solenoid valve, the dryer, um, the, the pressure switch, the, the system itself, they all have an effect on the operation of our compressor. So everything has to be, let's say, correct for the compressor to be correct. And if one of those things is is not, then we can have some yeah, challenges with the operation of the compressor. And it doesn't take much, as you said, regarding the charge. If the system is overcharged, that can have an effect on the compressor. If the system is undercharged, that has an effect on the system. So everything in a refrigeration system affects the compressor. So everything has to be correct yeah yeah so to put it simple um as i mentioned in the beginning the compressor compresses a gas or vapor we have a vapor compression system i mean vapor gas that is something that has no liquid in it anymore that's the important part and then you need to give it enough of that to be able to compress it so your refrigerant charge must be sufficient but not too much, so you don't increase the outlet pressure in a way that you go out of the specification of the compressor. That that those are the main things. If you do that and you give it the right voltage and frequency, then your compressor runs fine. They they are really, really reliable machines. You you really want want to kill him if you want if you <laughs> if you stop a compressor you know that that that's very true and if you think about the life of the compressor um one piece of information that i use when i'm doing training session is try and compare it to the average family car um that let's say gets driven 12,000 miles uh, a year average speed maybe 50 mile an hour um, that means the engine's running for approximately 240 hours in a year. Um, it has an oil change every year, and the electronics within the car look after the engine. But if you compare that to a compressor, let's say 16 hours runtime per 24 hours, that's running almost 6,000 hours per year. Hmm. And it never has an oil change. And I always say it has variable operating conditions because, as we said, everything around the system has an effect on how the compressor operates. So that's just a good comparison between average car, 240 hours in a year, compressor close to 6,000 hours per year. And we expect the compressor to last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, and the average car, uh, 
you'll renew that every three or four years or something, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Even if you drive it for ten years, that's that's still then then you are you're not even at one year compressor operation. Yeah, correct. So yeah. you'd you'd better be a car than a compressor. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not true. Okay, so yeah, but anyway, let let let's just go back again to this this uh, service uh, visit that you 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 you're on. Uh, you, you you get into the machine room and uh, there is it stands the heart of a thing, and it's extremely noisy. It just yeah, uh, it's it, you you can barely be there because of the noise. So it must be the compressor. Well, that depends a lot on the noise, but the typical not normal noise of a compressor is when you misuse that compressor as a pump instead of a gas compressing machine and you feed quite some refrigerant into that compressor liquid refrigerant of course and then the compressor tries to compress that liquid either the, the refrigerant itself or the refrigerant drops into the oil it boils you generate a lot of foam the compressor sucks in that foam and tries to compress the foam which it can to a certain point because it's foam but then you have an oil in in the uh, piston area and and you cannot compress an oil and then you really start to to hammer the oil with the compressor or the liquid refrigerant depending on what you suck into into the compression chamber and that generates really quite some noise so that that's it, if you have heard that a few times you come into a machinery room and you immediately can tell oh that that compressor is taking in liquid that's a very typical sound a, a pretty hard a pretty hard sound so uh how do you actually diagnose a compressor or rather the system so to speak when you are looking at a compressor or you're listening to a compressor how do you are, are there any say uh hints that that you can tricks to 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 listen to to uh um say uh, if can can you see it maybe even on on a, on a compressor that this is what the problem is like what you're saying it sucks in uh liquid uh, refrigerant. How do you, how can you detect that? Um, I guess obviously uh, pressures and temperatures around our compressor. So we measure suction pressure. We measure suction temperature. Um, we measure the superheat on the system, so we can see whether we have vapor in the suction line or indeed if we do have liquid in the suction line. If we are lucky enough to have an all sight glass in the compressor. If it is getting liquid back in there, you will see, as Jörg said, foam within the oil sight glass. So we know that something, uh, some liquid is coming back and foaming in the oil. One of the greatest misconceptions, I think, regarding liquid is that if you're on a negative temperature application, so a freezer room, for example, 
and your suction line is very cold and the suction stub of the compressor is is white people think that's liquid it's not it's below freezing so you will get um you know ice frost etc on the suction line so the the only real way to to check would be to measure the superheat the system superheat between evaporating temperature and the temperature of the suction gas coming back to your machine hmm. the, there are very few pretty obvious ones when your discharge line is is only hand warm <laughs> then <laughs> then you really need to think about what's going on here because then you probably have a lot of liquid going into that compressor cooling down the, the gas whilst it's compressed um but that's that's really really one of the few things it's it's that typical noise and then as john said you just go and do a couple of measurements and then it becomes clear pretty fast what's going on here so if you have ice on the discharge <clears throat> you it's definitely pumping liquid if you have ice on the discharge well <laughs> 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 yeah if if you have that wow <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i have to admit i've never seen that <laughs> no me neither, me neither. just uh, joking i've never i really never seen that one yeah but uh, as you said john uh, the side class just have a look at the side class if the compressor is running and it has not just started, but it is continuously running. You have foam in the side glass, in the oil side glass. Well, then that's a very, very clear indication that you have a liquid going back to to that compressor. That's really very clear. Well, and then there are sometimes noises when you have, for example, oil missing in the compressor due to whatever reason. There are many reasons why you don't get your oil back. And then the compressor is running without oil. That can happen. And just before the compressor fails, um, maybe a few minutes, hours, that compressor generates a not nice sound. But that's that's a totally different sound to, to the hammering of the liquid. That's really a, a sound of a compressor shouting at you that it wants oil. So you really hear that metal is is running on metal, and and that's not a very nice sound. I I would describe that as a, as a rumble, um, you know, particularly on a piston machine, um, and just to give some sort of statistics, and and this is just out of my head, but still the majority of warranty failure that we get back at Danfoss is lack of oil in the crankcase for compressors that's still the most common reason for warranty failure or compressor failure is lack of oil in the crankcase so it needs oil to lubricate and to work yeah and i mean the compressors come with an oil charge that's that's how compressors are typically delivered you need to make sure that this oil comes back because whenever a compressor runs it's feeds out oil into the system that that's how it is and that oil throw rate how it's called so it throws oil into the refrigeration system into the discharge line <clears throat> and you need to make sure that the oil comes back from your system back through the suction line to the compressor so that you have an oil circulation in the system and a number 
how much oil you feed into that line that can be between let's say one to two percent but it can easily go to to eight nine sometimes ten percent for rotary compressors that might be even higher and that means and that's that's the mass percentage of the refrigerant you feed or you you kind of um, run around in the system so let's say five percent of your mass is oil if you have one liter in the system and you have three kilograms of refrigerant then you pump around quite quite some refrigerant several several let's say 100 kilos per hour of refrigerant that's what you pump around and that means at five percent you pump around five kilograms of oil per hour so that needs to to come back so you pump that refrigerant out, uh, that oil out of the compressor five times per hour, and it needs to come back pretty fast so that you have enough oil in your compressor. If if you lose that, lose. I mean, if you park that oil come somewhere in the system where, where you don't want to park it in the heat exchanger, it does not come back and your compressor has not enough oil. That's that's a pretty common reason why compressors fail, as John said. Yeah. Right. But But... Yeah, I mean the easy solution to, to that would be well, just put in some more oil, or yeah, well, um, uh, of course, if you have a very, very, very long pipe work, you need to put in some put in some extra oil to to fill all these places with oil where you have a little bit of oil. But um, if you if you park, I use that word park, if you park that oil where you don't want to have it and you feed in more oil, then you get other problems. All of your, all of a sudden, your evaporator might be half filled with oil or your condenser. You don't want to have that because then your evaporator or condenser does not work as it should. That means you need to make sure you get the oil back with the right velocity of refrigerant in in these areas and so on and you need to avoid oil traps and all that all that stuff yeah and i guess this is where we are back to to the uh, system design i mean yes yeah and and, and whatever else is, is is required from from that design um somebody was mentioning the pressure switches um is is that something we should uh, say give a few words on how to set the the pressure switches both high and low pressure switches yeah why not um and just just one word to start with and then john um, you can talk quite a lot about that because you have a lot of experience there if if we talk about a high pressure and a low pressure switch please have in mind that those pressure switches are the last line of defense for a compressor. You put in other means, you, you do a good selection and so on, um, so that you usually never need that pressure switch. Apart from pump down, that's a different thing. But, but a high pressure switch, a compressor should usually never run to the high pressure switch and switch on and off because of the high pressure switch. It's really the last line of defense. So that high pressure switch says, now, come on, now we've reached a point where I switch that whole thing off to protect my compressor friend. But that's really it. The same goes for the low pressure switch. Correct. Um, I, I would say, 
yoga. I, I totally agree. They are the last line of defense. And you will often see uh, sites where people have adjusted the high pressure switch or the low pressure switch to keep the system working. Um, for example, in the summer with a, a dirty condenser, maybe, um, and it's tripping out on the HP switch. So they wind the pressure switch out a little bit so it trips at a higher pressure. The, the setting of the HP switch switch should be the same or below as the the PS of the system. And that is the uh, you know rule of thumb or rule of law um, regarding setting of HP switch. Um, LP switch, it might be a safety LP or it might be a pump down LP. But again, they have to be set for the application themselves. Um, just coming back to, to oil. Um, one of the biggest challenges with a system is if it's short cycling on the LP switch, so stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, that will actually pump out the oil in the crankcase very, very quickly. Um, so you, you have to make sure that we have uh, settings of the HP switch and the LP switch set correct for the application. It is vitally important. Yeah. And as you said, it's it's the maximum pressure allowed in the system. And sometimes that's given by the application envelope of the compressor. So what is the maximum condensing pressure a compressor can handle? And just to mention that, um, because that happens sometimes, as John said, that this is adjusted. So that that's, um, setting of that switch is adjusted. And then you might hear, yeah, I just turned that up three bars, but the compressor is running fine. Yes, you can you can force a compressor to run outside of its application envelope. It will not die immediately, but it's not good to do that. You overload the compressor constantly, so it will it it will be damaged over time. But it doesn't mean when you operate it one bar higher than than its specification that it will stop immediately. It will stop later on because you wear it out, you constantly overload it. That, that's the point. So don't be misguided by, I've did it, I've been waiting for an hour, it keeps working, everything is fine. That's, that's not the way to do. There is this last line of defense for a long-term defense as well, that, that your compressor is healthy throughout these 10, 15 years of lifetime of the system. Yeah. Um... I've also made note of, of compressor controls or pressure controls, of course. I mean, uh, the d different types of valves. Uh, uh, it could be uh, crankcase pressure uh, controls. It could be uh, condenser pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, any comments to those uh, controlling valves? The, I mean, in, in Danfoss terms, it would be the KV valves. Yeah. Um, depending on which KV valve, it is there to keep a pressure in the condenser or the evaporator where you want it to have. And there's one KV valve which is really there to protect the compressor from being overloaded because your suction pressure becomes too high, for example, during a startup when, when the code room is very warm. Uh, or when something else is extremely warm and you start up the compressor and the compressor is made for low temperature operation and to avoid that you overload it during the pull down. That's why you have this one 
one specific control valve. All the others are more for the system itself, not necessarily to protect the compressor. Mm. And that goes back to one of your comments earlier, Jörg, is that you need to make sure that we keep that compressor operating in its envelope. Yeah. And in Danfoss, we use the term envelope. Um, and yeah, basically what that means is that that compressor has a, a range of pressures and temperatures that it can work within. And if you take it outside of those, um, as Jörg said, you will have some some challenges over a, a, a length of time. We appreciate that every system has transient conditions where during the startup, it might be just on the edge of the envelope, but that's a transient condition. If you then bring it back inside the envelope, everything is fine again. It's keeping it uh, or making it work outside of its envelope for a period of time that will eventually make the compressor rather poorly, I guess. Mm. Or rather yeah. ill. Yeah. Now, again, a uh, 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 sort of thought here. Uh, let's 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 just say that uh, we need to replace the compressor. It, it for some reason we we've detected the compressor is, is is defect we need to replace it what considerations do we need to have when 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 finding a replacement compressor um what are your thoughts to that mm. um i would say that the obvious ones would be that if you replace the compressor with another compressor it has to be of the same capacity um, working envelope, voltage frequency, basically a like for like mm. um, compressor. If you, and going back to a comment that was made earlier, for me, we need to find out why that compressor failed in the first place. Because if we just, as you said, become a part changer, compressor failed, let's replace the compressor. Then <clears throat> maybe not immediately, uh, but maybe down the line, that compressor will fail again. So it is vitally important to find out why the machine failed in, in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, it might have failed because of lack of oil in the crankcase. So that's been pumped around the system. We've now fitted a new compressor. It has a good oil charge. So that might not fail for a good period of time. And then everybody will say, oh, it, it, it was the compressor. Generally, the, com the compressors fail for one of two reasons. One is a manufacturing defect, which is, um, I can't say impossible, but you know things fail. Um, <clears throat> the other one obviously is an ap application related failure, and that is the biggest reason why, why the compressors fail in, in the first place. Yeah. And I totally agree to the, to keep the compressor as it is. I mean, brand is a different thing. If if you have one brand and replace that with a with a very similar Danfoss compressor, we are happy. Yes, um, <laughs> but uh, you should you should really keep the same capacity as as John said. And of course, voltage and so on that needs to fit. No no question about that, right? Um, but saying well, I need a bit more capacity on that system, so I just install a larger compressor. Wait a second, that will not work because the rest of the system is not made for that capacity. 
oh, of course we assume now that the first selection of the compressor was okay. <laughs> if, if that was extremely wrong, then you might rethink, but usually you can assume that the first selection of the compressor was okay, and you just um, have a like-to-like -like replacement here, yes. Great, okay, thank you guys. I think we are, uh, say, we've we've covered what we could today with the compressor. We will be back again, the three of us, uh, with the next component in the circuit. So it's probably, that's my guess at least, uh, that we'll be uh, talking about the condenser next time. Um, but thank you so much, John and uh, Jörg. Thank you so thank much. You, thank you. And see you next time. Look forward to it. And thank you for listening in on this podcast. Now, please allow me to repeat what I mentioned in the start, that you can ask questions and send comments by sending them to chillingwithjens, in one word, at danfoss.com, or you can post your questions in the social medias where you find Danfoss, typically LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram.